This week's episode is brought to you by Audible.com and Inspro Insurance. To get a free audiobook download and 30-day trial, just visit audibletrial.com slash insideoutside. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash insideoutside to download your free audiobook today. On this episode, we'll be discussing the books that have helped make our entrepreneurship journey just a bit easier. We also caught up with New York Times bestselling author, Diana Kander, who's written an amazing fictional story of entrepreneurship titled All In Startup. All this and more on this episode of Inside Outside. Running a startup is hard. Running one outside the valley is even harder. Inside Outside is a podcast for inside access to startups outside the valley. Each week, we'll bring you real insights, raw stories, and tactical advice from founders and startup teams around the country. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside. You're looking to startups outside Silicon Valley. My name is Matt Boyd. I'm Brian Ardinger. And I'm Paul Jarrett. This week, we're going to be talking about books, the books that have influenced us, and uh, yeah. Startup books. Yeah. How many books are on your guys' list right now? Six, but I'm going to cut it down to three. I've got too many to count, but I'll, I'll go with the flow and see where we go. Yeah. Nice. I have my sticky note rolling right now. Uh, by the way, quick follow-up on last week's PR thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, how many emails did you get? So I got, uh, so far I'm up to four emails. All right. Um, so that's awesome. Everybody was really polite, and, and I hooked them up with a list. Um, but my father brought over some mail and a newspaper to our office. Right? He's like, hey, I have some mail that came to our place. And uh, that article in the paper, I was like, oh, that's great. Um, which I didn't know what he was talking about, but come back to my desk and um, there's an article on my desk that says in big bold letters, in search for the new huddle. And then there's a picture of <laughs> Stephanie and I, and, I the, and I was like, wait a second. And I like looked up the, the old article online and it was um, something about like local local startups bringing new venture yeah. capital in. Yeah. I was like, they changed the so I snapped a photo <laughs> and I sent it to John and David and we had a good laugh about it, but kind of funny how that can get twisted like that. And it was like, that's cool, but I'm I don't sure they think that's, what, it. <laughs> that's not what any startup <laughs> wants. It's like to no, no, be no, no, associated no. with another startup. <laughs> right. I was like, <laughs> like, no, that. No, no, no. And like it's orange too. And I'm like, Oh man, but yeah. it's all good. Yeah. So let's get the uh, the the topic of conversation uh, books started. What what do you guys? What's on your list? I know we have a, all of us have individual lists. I have so. so many books that can impress you guys so hard. <laughs> <laughs> My father was an English professor. <laughs> so you, what? Should, you should have a lot of books. I got a lot of books. Oh, you were kidding? I thought no, that no, was no, oh, really. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Cool. Well, Brian, you got, you have a printed well, sheet. With, that is a very long list, sir. I just printed out. So if you uh, go back through our Tumblr blog, you'll see a, a, a startup bookshelf that we mm-hmm. put together on day one of the uh, the podcast just to kind of clear my mind of uh, some of the questions I was getting. Like, what books do you read? And that uh, can get somebody started on this journey. And um, So I just printed that particular list off. But one that's not on the list that's been uh, in my bookshelf for a while is Purple Cow by Seth Godin. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's one of those go-to books that I haven't probably read in five years, but every once in a while I'll go back to it. And yeah. it's, uh, it's a really good reminder about marketing and really a good reminder about how do you make your company remarkable or whatever product is that mm-hmm. you're developing. And I think it's a really good 
go-to book to think about how do you uh, position your company? Uh, on, a, on a separate note, really quick before we get too deep into the book conversation, um, wh- what do what is the purpose that books serve um, whenever you're starting a company? Like, how much should you rely on them, um, and, and what role should they play in your life? Essentially, why well, use? I, That's a big ass question. What book should <laughs> what role should books play in your life? That is a big question. Are we talking I, like I only bi- ask big questions. Biblical, or are we talking like you <laughs> yeah, know, anything? Calvin this and Hobbes. This is an open-ended conversation. <laughs> Calvin and Hobbes dramatic, dramatically impacted me yeah. as a youth. So, I mean, I, I, I know like um, when I was raising, even before I was raising, like years before I was raising, um, I like super relied on venture deals to, to get my understanding, the mechanics of how all this stuff worked. Mm-hmm. That's just a, kind of an example. There are a lot more examples, but... Um, for me, for me, there's like, yeah, venture deal. There's, <laughs> there's a, there's a couple different types of, one of them can just be strictly reference, uh, kind of how I use venture yep. deals. Yep. Totally. The other one's more like lifestyle, like changing my mind about who I am and like conceptual. You know, yeah. A lot yep. of conceptual type of stuff. I feel um, like for me, there's, there's the books I'm supposed to read there's the books that become reference manuals and they have all sorts of notes sticking out of them. Yeah. Um, or they might be almost like a workbook type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is their kind of bigger like conceptual things like a book called tribal leadership that I mm-hmm. read that just kind of like dramatically impacted like, com- like how I'm operating. So Tony shape um, and from Zappos, that's one of yep. his go-to books. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, which you can download free on a site. Mm-hmm. We don't get paid for that. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. There's kind of like different buckets that you put them, but I'll tell you what, like for every man, I want to say three, but I'm, if I'm being honest, probably about every five books, like if you put five startup books in front of me, probably two to three of those aren't even going to get finished. I'm going to get like halfway through and I might lie to you and tell you I read, read it, but like I actually read half or just over half (laughs) right and then um you know we'll call it two of those books that i actually read the entire thing all the way through yeah um but then usually out of those five there's one of them that over time i just find myself keep coming back to so i'm actually interested from you guys um i'm going to just delete both of your questions and ask this question (laughs) like what are the what are the books that have stuck with you over time like i'm talking like you know years or you just find yourself constantly applying those rules to whatever you're doing so brian you said purple cow and whenever we went to see seth godin in iowa city uh I know that you brought, you had like the original actual, box. Yeah, the, the original, original box. box for him to sign. So that, nice. that had to have impacted you pretty. So I don't know if anybody knows, but so when, he originally, in the house. when mm-hmm. he originally uh, created that book, he, it was a limited edition run that right. he actually put into milk cartons, yeah. the old style milk cartons. And uh, just that alone was like a packaging kind of craziness to. What year was that book. about? Like 2003? 2001 ish, 2002. Yeah, I remember when that kind of made its there. way around the the advertising school, yeah. um, the College of Journalism, Mass Communications at UNL. Like people geeked out over that. That was kind of like his third or fourth book. He had the Idea Virus and a couple of others that had taken off before, but this was his kind of first foray for, foray into new ways to launch books. And he's always been kind of the forefront of publishing it. Yeah, so. nice. What I about think, you, Matt? I think for me. Um, the, the the book that has probably impacted me most deeply 
is how to win friends and influence people. And I know Dale that's Carnegie. a that's a pretty c- cliche answer, but there's a reason for that. Like right. I, that book is very profound in the way that it it handles you know the, the you know social structures and the way that you talk to people and all of that kind of stuff. And I think there's a common misconception about that book that it's kind of manipulative. Right. A lot of people think like. That book is just to kind of manipulate people into, but but honestly, it's it's very explicit in saying that yes, you can use these tactics to manipulate people to do whatever you want, um, but you shouldn't. <laughs> it, right. Generally, it says if you're if you if you approach somebody approach a situation and you are, um, you know, using the tactics in this book, then you should mean them. Right. Basically, and the, I really like that the it's very section candid. about, and I got kind of like lost in that 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 genre of books for a while and I believe it came from Dale Carnegie but the section about the dog the dogs yeah. and also this yeah it's funny that you knew what I was going to say mm-hmm. the dog and then the section about uh, cigars the factory workers him handing out cigars oh, yeah, yeah. like just like I, I remember that like I remember that at work every day yeah um, those two specific things so or like walking into a pitch I kind of have like a mentality of like the dog right like yeah. always happy to see you excited yeah. whatever so um, yeah, man, that, that, that's a fantastic book. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Inspro Insurance. We caught up with Noah to hear his thoughts on why a startup needs insurance. Why does a startup need insurance? A startup needs liability insurance to protect its customers. By doing business with people, you are creating potential liabilities for yourselves insofar as they come to rely on you or insofar as you have exposure to their property, their financials, their assets, and by making mistakes through your negligence, you can cause them harm. Good example would be by selling a service to a financial institution, the financial institution may come to rely on you. And by making a mistake and just simply in the process of coding your software, it could create a huge harm for the financial institution. In working with customer information, you take on a responsibility to protect that customer information, not only from destruction, but also from exposure to the, to the rest of the world. In the event that you somehow make a mistake or are otherwise compromised by no fault of your own, there's a good chance that you're going to incur liability as well as there's a good chance that your customer is going to experience some damage, financial damage or otherwise. And carrying one of many types of liability insurance, general liability, media liability, professional liability, or cyber liability, all will help protect your customers and thus make sure that in the event of the worst happening that your company isn't wiped out and theirs isn't as well. And by protecting your customers, you are protecting your company. So going back to why we read books, or whatever, I'll, I collect a lot of books, and I, my Kindle's probably full of ones I need to get to, but um, I, I think the main reason I do it, I, I typically go in spurts, like I'll try to learn a new subject. So you yeah. know, again, depending on what you're doing in work, you know, maybe it's marketing, maybe you're launching a new website or whatever, so you, I you know, dig down deep into um, you know, a particular genre, um, and then you'll back, bounce back out to something else uh, that's more relevant. But I, I, I think the importance is to keep as many books on the shelf as possible and then use those as reference guides. Yeah. I think too many people, you know, think of a book, buy a book, just put it away. But I think it's important to keep it near you yep. um, at, at, at your beck and call because I think a lot of times rather than create, recreating the wheel, it's important to, you know, go to sources of expertise more and more often. Yeah, we do that at work a lot. Like we have, um, we have shelf at work, but we'll actually, uh, like I find myself talking with somebody and I'm like, you know, there's a good book on it. It's probably sound like yeah. an old man. Yeah, there's <laughs> a good book on that. Here, let me check my library here. <laughs> yeah. Empty, empty some pipe. Yeah. Grab this. Um, well, since you guys asked, um, my books are, um, the art of start 
for Heart sure. Heart of the Start, yeah. Yeah, that one, that one changed. Guy Kawasaki? Like, yes, that changed um, the course of my life. Um, made to Stick, um, Dale and Chip something, I think Eef. is their name. Chip and Dale. <laughs> gotcha. Um, tribal Leadership. Um, so Artists Are Made to Stick, Tribal Leadership are all those books. How to Win Friends and yeah. uh, whatever the Dale Carnegie's book is. Um, and then also recently, um, I read a book called What You Say When You Talk to Yourself. And I think that mm. that one has really changed a lot of how I approach um, startups and just uh, um, life in general. So I'm actually very interested right now in um, um, books about the brain and thinking and why you're doing what you're doing. Um, so some of them are like way over my head, but um, that's kind of what I'm interested in mm. right now. But those are the books, and then zero to one is it's kind of stuck a little right. bit. Peter Thiel's, book. yeah. Mm-hmm. That, and and anytime you can kind of find a book that you can relate to, and you go, oh, I'm not the only one out there going through this. That's always a, a sign of a good book to that, me. That was a book that was created based on uh, Peter Thiel gave a lecture at Stanford, and somebody in the audience took copious notes and then yeah, they turned it one into of the, the students into did. the book. Yeah. yeah. What do you guys think? Do you think there's a, a, a possibility that people just read books and never actually do anything? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, totally, man. Totally. So what, what, how would somebody stay away from that? So um, you can't just give them the recommendation to stop reading books. So how, how, do, how do we one, handle that? One here? of the first things that when somebody contacts me and they say, what books should I read? And you know, uh, I'm thinking about starting or whatever. Um, I, this is probably terrible advice. But um, they have a million questions for me. And now I default... Some people listening might go, oh, shit, that was me that he did that too. But um, I just give them a link to The Art of Start, and I say go through the exercises in this book. Yeah. If you're excited by the end of it, like you should probably continue on the path. Mm-hmm. If it seems daunting or intimidates you, then like you should probably rethink what you're doing. But I like the um, executional books when you're just getting started and books that kind of like map out um, plans like um, what what is... Uh, business model generation mm-hmm. um uh, what's the other one disciplined entrepreneur by bill outlet like those types of books that are breaking down steps and kind of check boxes i think those are really good when you first get started because you can get lost in kind of theories and concept and and those and, types of things and if you don't want to go the textbook route where it's kind of kind of prescribed and here's the step-by-step thing i think a really good book for early entrepreneur to understand some of the basics is diana kander's all in startup because she took a different approach, you know. A lot of it's more of a novel, right? It's written as a I've fictional not account. Read this book. Yeah, and it's a, the yeah. characters Owen Chase, and he goes through the World Series of Poker. But he's an entrepreneur, and he runs into a mentor, and and kind of the shenanigans like, of going through the World Series of Poker, and kind of laying that against what it's like to actually do build a business. More um, of a metaphor type of book. Yeah, so it's um customer validation why do you should you do interviews and it actually walks you through the process of how to do those interviews and that but it does so in a story format that makes That's it more really more easy to uh digest how far down the path does it go of like the story uh, i mean it's a complete story i mean it, you could read it as a story like alone IPO or acquisition or no 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 it's it's early stage stuff so okay. it's talking about customer validation customer interviews um you know finding a real problem that you're trying to solve rather mm-hmm. than building a product first yep. those kind of things um, but it's a really good um, good overview of what it's like for an early entrepreneur because a lot of times you jump into that, you know, I've got a great product and I'm going to introduce it and, and you don't go the, the, through the steps. And so this gives you an opportunity to see what that process is like and why you should do it in different ways. 
Paul, yeah. Paul, you mentioned the art of the start. Um, yeah. I remember very distinctly that that book is in my top three as well. Um, and I remember very distinctly sitting down and reading that in one sitting. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I literally, I was 22, um, just kind of getting like serious about startups in general. And, um, reading that, I think that book probably changed my life more than any, yeah. any other yeah. book. I couldn't even make it through the book. Uh, yeah. I started like, <laughs> like was like halfway through. Well, actually it was, a. Uh, um, I think a podcast recommended an audio book and then that audio book, like, if you like this, listen to this. And yeah. I remember I was running in San Francisco and, um, heard probably was like 20, 30 minutes in and then ran and bought the book and started reading the book and was just like, this is it. You know? Yeah. It was one of those first books that came out talking really about startups. Yeah, and it really I know was. They actually, there's a, version number two that just came out. It's yeah. kind of revised. What's the difference between one and two? Any idea? I haven't gone through version two yet, so I, I don't know, either. but I, I think it's just updated. Yeah. Um, probably to bring in it, things guys. like social media. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Tweets. I got it. You guys ready for this? Yeah. We make an Inside Outside podcast book. On how to make an Inside Outside but, podcast book. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's a pop-up book. Huh? Oh, that's uh-huh. sweet. You guys? Huh? Start a pop-up book. That's Start sweet. a pop-up book. I like that. <laughs> Um, it, it's interesting that uh, some years later, I, I probably mentioned this before, but I've, I actually had lunch with Guy Kawasaki through a cold email. So I guess it it's all comes cool. full circle. But, cool. Yeah, I love that. So there's uh, there's a book with the same name out. There's two books tra- called Traction. Yeah, yeah. And both are are uh, hitting the rounds here in the in the Midwest scene yep. as far as books one to which, recommend. One of which we will have the author on this podcast. There's yes, Jay Wilkinson's Traction that he recommends, yes. and there's Brian Ardinger's Traction that he recommends. Yeah. So, so the, <laughs> Jay and I recommend Jay's book as well. But yeah. uh, Jay uh, recommend this recommends this to all new entrepreneurs. And um, Traction by Gino Wickman, and it's it's much more about. Um, it's an older book, right? I don't know if it's, I think it's still relatively new, but it's, okay. it's really focused on um, kind of the HR and the operation side of the business. Yeah. And how do you build that into your culture? Um, where the traction book that I'm referring to is from Gabriel Weinberg and Justin Mares, and it's uh, called Traction, but it's really about a startup guide to getting customers. And it, not, and it walks through basically the 19 different ways you can... Um, it's how to actually get traction. Yeah, how do you actually get traction with regard to your customers? So everything right. from trade shows to press releases to SEO to uh, direct mail, etc. It looks like a pretty, like, I don't want to say... Very, it's very... It's like a pretty easy It's very tactical. Very tactical, yeah. like, almost like a guidebook on actually yep. getting traction. Mm-hmm. Yep. It seems like a... Uh, I haven't read it, but it seems like a very easy read as well. I'm going to... I'm. Yeah. I'm definitely going to hash it's that It's more out. one of those go-to reference books. Like uh, one of those go-to reference books that I always point people to. Obviously, Alistair Kroll was on our show, uh, but Lean Analytics and, you know. Um, yep, yep. That book, um, I think, is one of the best guides yeah. out there yep. for how do you yep. measure uh, what you're doing. And again, it's more of like a reference book. I wouldn't read it, you know, cover to cover. That guy is one of the best guys out there <laughs> for this. That was well, when we were... Uh, just beginning about thinking to raise our uh, second round of capital. Um, that was one of the books that I started looking at and we started incorporating a lot of the numbers and equations into our pitch. Um, you know, cause when you start, it's just kind of all 
air, right? It's just you're like, uh, this is what we think we can do. And then once you're in it and you actually have numbers, then you know that was a good book to kind of make sense of the whole thing. So the, the publisher O'Reilly, who put out Lean Analytics, has a series of Lean books, um, Lean Customer Development. Um, running lean, etc., and, and they're all very good. They're different author, authors for each particular book, but they, if you want to kind of overview and recap on different parts of the lean methodology, they're really good go-to books. So, speaking of lean, uh, kind of the elephant in the room would be um, the Lean Startup by mm-hmm. Eric Reese. I think that book, of any book that has ever come out, has probably served as the the quintessential guidebook for early stage startup risk mitigation. So, I mean, I think it's a great book and it gives you that 50,000 foot overview of what the concept is around lean. Yeah, if, you're, if you've never been exposed to lean right. before. Right. The, the, where, and I think Eric would, would uh, echo this, but the fact that uh, it's, it's not a tactical guide. It's really the, right. there are tactics in there, but it's, mm-hmm. it's really an, a guide to uh, giving you the overview of why you should think about these particular principles. And it's a really great starting point. Um, but there are other books out there that then, you know, because it's, was the first book out. Now there's subsequent books that really talk about well, how, yeah, do you exec- deeper, how do you execute on this? Get deeper into the mm-hmm. weeds, right? I think he 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 just kind of paved the way with the the generalized methodology, mm-hmm. and then everybody else is kind of piling on top of that. What would you say if I told you I have not read that book? I would say you're probably like ninety percent of the people out there, yeah. even in yeah. the valley. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think that's I've got the book quite frankly. To be like I have like three copies. I think. <laughs> quite frankly, I think that's why there's a lot of misconceptions around Lean too, because yeah. people haven't read the book. They've, Nobody has actually read the book, yeah. right? They're just going off the title and yeah. the click. So to, <laughs> the to, to close out the pod, this episode, what do you, if there were one book um, regarding entrepreneurship that you could recommend? What would you? What would be that book? It's easy for me. Um, tribal leadership, because I think at the end of the day, it all boils down to the people and kind of the interaction of people and um, the culture. And, and that's really all that matters. And I think that book is a great um, um, book to kind of put a framework around that. I don't know if this is like the best book to if you're getting started, but in general, I think you should read if you're a startup founder or you're in a startup, I think you should read The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, the um, uh, Andreessen Horowitz uh, venture capitalist. And it's basically his chronicle of him building his company and the struggle of what it's really like to run a company and the struggle with a... It's real. Yeah, I mean, it's the struggle with the fact that you're building something that you're going to make these massive mistakes and there are no right answers and you are 100% responsible for everything and how do you go through that particular process? Everything from... Hiring to firing to you know uh, raising capital etc. and it's just a really gut wrenching ordeal uh, that, that Ben's gone sad, through. Brian Ardinger, I don't want to read that. Read it. <laughs> it'll it'll uh, it'll probably scare you, but it'll also give you a, a really good insight into uh, what it's like to to really build a company. Um, Keep reading, folks. Keep reading and read a motherfucking book. Oh, and, and if you don't want to read, uh, grab an Audible book. <laughs> specifically oh with- dude is that what this whole episode was about plugging out of them I love it you're not supposed to that say was that a giant ad I love it oh, you guys got me I clicked I clicked <laughs> we sat down with Diana Kander author of New York Times bestseller All in Startup to quote Tony Shea CEO of Zappos Diana Kander captures what it's like to launch something new 
The result is a book that helps set readers on the path to finding startup success. Sorry for the audio quality here. As you know, video conferencing can uh, be a bit of a pain. All right, so you've got a lot on your plate. You're an entrepreneur, author, Kaufman Fellow, teacher. What gets you excited about building startups and helping entrepreneurs? Gosh, it's such a hard uh, question to answer, but it is true. I wake up every morning thinking about how to help people uh, be more innovative in their life. And I think the thing that uh, drives me the most is that there's a big confusion out there about what the definition of innovation means. So to me, innovation is creating something new that adds value to people. And so often people just stop at the new part. They think that if they just make something that's never existed before, they're done. And I'm just very passionate about spreading the message that creating value is really the important part of innovation and how to help people figure out how to do it. So through your work with Kaufman and and your book, All in Startup, you've had a chance to kind of travel and see startups being built everywhere. And and part of our podcast is is talking about startups outside the valley and that. What are some of the core challenges and opportunities that you see for a startup trying to build outside the outside the ecosystem of the of Silicon Valley? I think that so many people outside of Silicon Valley think that they're going to create recreate Silicon Valley like startups. So they're going to build the next Facebook or Instagram and Oftentimes, if they are building a company like that, the amount of money that they're going to need will only be available in the Valley, so they end up moving. But if they don't have to try to start those companies only. There's so many advantages and so many great opportunities that exist outside the Valley in industries that maybe aren't sexy. I think Lincoln has done such an incredible job of finding those niches where they can become experts, um, such as sports or the finance industry, where you know, they're seen as a hub for those types of companies and they can really dominate and they don't have as much of a fear of having their businesses sucked out to the valley once they start finding success. Right. So what are some of the most common mistakes you see entrepreneurs make? Obviously, you know, you, you see a lot of the, this early stage stuff and your book is all about the early stage stuff. What are some of the most common mistakes that you're seeing? So the n- number one mistake is that people focus on the product and the thing that they're building versus focusing on the customer and the problem that they're solving. So a lot of people think, of course, everybody's going to want this. As soon as I show it to one person, they're going to tell everyone they know about it. It's going to grow virally. And unfortunately, that rarely happens. And, And that's because people aren't thinking about the customer and their pain point. And I understand why it's really easy to fall in love with your product or your idea and it's really scary to go out and potentially be rejected by customers so oftentimes people start out by dreaming up an idea and then going to work on building it you know in their basement without telling anybody because they don't want somebody to steal the idea and they spend lots of money and lots of time until they think it's perfect and then they go out to customers and oftentimes they find you know n- no love <laughs> from the customer so they, they can't sell their product and they go through the cycle over and over again because then they go back to the basement and say you know how should it be different and so they brainstorm new ideas and they keep working on it go back to customers nothing so then they do it again and usually this cycle ends only when they run out of money <laughs> um, so the opposite 
way to start a company is to get an idea and say, okay, how can I not waste my time or money building something that nobody's ever going to want to buy? So what's a small bet I can make today to see if people are actually interested in it? Can I pre-sell this product? Um, can I uh, start getting people to sign up for it? Can I get customers to create it with me? And rarely do entrepreneurs take that kind of path forward, but it's such an easy way to get started, to make sure that your company is going to generate revenue when you finally decide to launch. Um, so what are some of the things that uh, entrepreneurs can do to better embrace that philosophy because it is so difficult? So the best thing that you can do is to have objective people around you who help you stay honest. Even I fall in love with ideas that I have and I say, I don't have to really test. I mean, clearly this is such a great idea that it's going to work. And I, I know enough to have people in my life who are like, come on, just follow your own <laughs> logic, you know, just do the test. If, even if you're so sure it's going to be successful, this will give you um, better evidence of exactly which features you should benefit, which customer groups are interested in it. So it's having people honest in your life but believe in the lean process or methodology believe in making small bets who force you to interact with customers before you start branding it or building your product so i want to talk a little bit about your book the all-in startup you know it was a it's an innovative approach to teaching folks about lean startup and customer validation what made you decide to write kind of a fiction book instead of the traditional textbook you know, I usually had trouble finishing business books. I would read the first third, and then I'd feel like I got the gist of what the book was trying to communicate. And I hadn't read any fiction since I was in high school. And I was having trouble going to sleep at night because I was reading these business books and then waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning with all these ideas. So my husband said I could only read fiction before I went to bed. So I read my first fiction book, and I just fell in love with it. Like, I couldn't put it down when I wasn't reading it. I was thinking about the characters and worrying about them. And I was telling my husband that this was the greatest book ever written. And he was like, no, this is every single fiction book. And I was like, wow, like what if somebody wrote a business book that people couldn't wait to finish? Like they just couldn't get enough of it. And they fell in love with the characters and then the business principles um, you know, which can be usually summarized. That's why they have business book summaries because there's usually like three or four pages of actual content in the book. What if you spread that across a really interesting story and that was the medicine that you use the sugar of the story to, to help people digest? So that was the theory behind it. So you also used a kind of an innovative way to kind of promote the book. So you, I think you used the Indiegogo campaign to kind of kickstart the book. Can you talk through kind of what you learned from that process and what you'd recommend? Sure. So my objective, my customer from the very beginning was people who teach entrepreneurship because I felt like they were having communicating context of what it is they were teaching. Like it's hard to teach principles unless you have a business that you're working in so that you can understand them. And they were having trouble getting students to engage and to actually read the things that they were assigning. So my customers were, um, like I said, entrepreneurship educators. So I you know, wanted to use the book as a way to change how a lot of them were teaching entrepreneurship. So I created um, an Indiegogo campaign to help me do that and to have individual entrepreneurs who are just as passionate about this way of teaching entrepreneurship um, sponsor different schools 
to make sure that I could get the book and the curriculum that I created alongside of it to those individual professors. So uh, that was, you know, one of the small tests that I um, tried to run was to see if, you know, I could get community support around this and to get entrepreneurship educators interested in the concept uh, before the book was ever published. And what anything? And, what, what did you learn from that process as far as tips and tricks for running a crowdfunding? You know, my number one takeaway was that you should start planning for the campaign long before the campaign ever starts. I'm sure you've heard this from everybody else who's run the campaign. But if you could start contacting people um, long before the campaign actually launches, like you, you shouldn't wonder, just like your startup, you shouldn't hope that it's successful on day one. You should have done so much work beforehand that you know exactly who's going to come and buy on day one. Um, and I could have done a significantly better job of that. Um, tell me about the, you use something in your class called the $1 exercise. Can you go through that? Sure. Uh, there's so many times where we as entrepreneurs think that there are no brainers in the world. Like clearly I have a brilliant idea and it's going to you know catch on quick. And I try to use different exercises in the classroom to demonstrate to people just the blind spots they can develop. So the $1 challenge is, is that kind of thing where I have, I give students um, the instructions to go to a public place and hand out five $1 bills. And before they do, they have to write a short business plan. I mean, it's a couple sentences. So they have to say, you know, who they think their target customers are going to be, which is usually everybody, um, what their marketing plan is, like what is it that they're going to go out and say to people and then their finances their financial plan is okay out of the five one dollar bills how many will you be able to give away and people are often surprised by the challenge when they first hear it they're like i'm giving away free money of course everybody's going to want to take my free money and uh, almost never uh, are people able to give away all five one dollar bills they fail pretty much 99% of the time. And I've now had other professors in other schools, uh, you know, following the curriculum that I send out, also do the challenge and they have the same uh, results. So the students quickly learn that their initial plan goes out the window almost upon immediate contact with customers. So they quickly change their messaging and what it is um, that they're going to say to them. And they learn that there are certain groups of people that are more receptive than others. So in some areas, um, older people are less receptive than younger, like younger people don't know enough to be uh, cautious, you know, or weary of people trying to give them something. But older people are like, oh, this is, there's some kind of scam. I, d I don't want anything to do with this. So uh, sometimes they learn that groups of people are more receptive to something than approaching somebody one-on-one. -on -one. So these are things that you never would have been able to uh, guess when you were just brainstorming the activity. So, so they learn that their initial plan goes out the window almost immediately, that you discover valuable insights by interacting with customers never would have thought of on their own. And most importantly, they discover that not everybody wants free money. And that's such an important lesson because whatever business idea they come up with is not going to be as good as free money. Like there's pretty much no better product out there than giving people cash and asking for nothing in return. So 
they quickly understand that not everybody's going to want to buy whatever it is they come up with. So they better do a good job of figuring out who their customers are going to be and why they would want their product. So you're obviously not only just a teacher, you, you've been an entrepreneur. Uh, what? Tell me about a story about the earliest experience that you had about being an entrepreneur or start, starting that first thing. Was it a lemonade stand? Was it something... Tell us some stories about that. Oh, that far back. You want to go that far back. <laughs> um, well, I, I grew up very, very poor and, uh, you know, quickly learned if I wanted things, I had to earn money. And so pretty much everything is a revenue generating opportunity. So when I was, um, I, I don't remember, like nine or 10 years old, I got a magic kit for my birthday. And I was like, okay, now I'm I don't know anything about magic, but I have this kit and I'm going to put on magic shows and charge money for attendance. Um, so it just started at that age and continued to progress uh, between jobs and different things that I would sell um, on the side. Like um, I found a local flea market in Kansas City where I found all kinds of goods that people in my um in my where I went to high school didn't go out to that part of town but they really liked some of the things that I found so I would resell the free market goods that I was able to find um so that was a lot of high school <laughs> um I was involved in like door-to-door sales um activities I mean pretty much anything and so, uh, I tried from a very very early age very cool so, and tell me maybe what's the most uplifting experience with helping an entrepreneur get to the next level that you've had? There's so many stories, so it's, it's hard to choose um, between them. So I see my role, like one of my best roles is that of a uh, provocateur. So the difference to me between being a mentor and a provocateur is that a mentor exists to answer the entrepreneur's question. So the entrepreneur says, you know, I need... Um, I, I need to learn how to hire people. And then the mentor is like, well, when I hire, here's the procedure I follow. And a provocateur is a person who comes up with the questions that the entrepreneur would never even think of. So they push the entrepreneur to different realms. And somebody did that for me in the beginning of my and me have potential growth in my business. Something that I thought, I would have thought, impossible a year before I achieved it all because somebody asked me thought-provoking questions and in my case it was one thought-provoking question Um, so I try to play that role for other people and just this year I was working with a student entrepreneur at Mizzou and when I first met him he had a uh, business that installed uh, guttering around houses and he, he was making okay enough money to pay the rent and, and then some, and, you know, through a series of our conversations, he started thinking bigger. And at the beginning of the year, he sent me an email that said, you know, based on our conversations, I, I'm like jazzed up and I think I'm going to earn a hundred thousand dollars this year. And I, when I remember reading that and I was like, okay, like maybe, maybe you're getting a little too, like you're still in full responsibilities. And I just read an article um, covering the student's business about how he's on pace to hit $100,000 in revenue this year. 
So um, that's really exciting when people push themselves to things that they never even thought was possible and are able to achieve it. That's awesome. So last question is what's next on your plate? So I'm really focused on helping entrepreneurship educators teach entrepreneurship in a really engaging way. So the book is one part, but I'm trying to come up with as many exercises to supplement the curriculum as I can, um, as many different tools to put into their toolbox. And one of the things I'm really excited about, I mean, it's it's really early to to talk about it now, but um, I have uh, an idea for a replacement for the business plan. So it's a two-page validated business plan rather than 30 pages you have very condensed two pages that communicate everything you would have learned in the 30 pages plus a very simple form that they fill out that produces all of their uh, financial documents so it's something that's meant to take the business plan writing process from three weeks to potentially I don't know three to five hours So I'm very excited about that because it will keep the students from having to spend all that time writing their plan, and it'll keep the professors from having to read all those plans. But in the end, the concepts, the the, the thinking about the business will not have changed. You have to go through the same level of analysis and evaluation and validation than you would have otherwise. I'm just cutting out all the extra noise. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much for Diana Kander, author of All In Startup, for taking time to catch up with us today. If you have a question for us this week, don't hesitate to reach out on Twitter at The IO Podcast. And if you haven't already subscribed on iTunes, go ahead and give that a shot now. Also, you can follow the hosts of this show at Ardinger, at Paul Jarrett, and me at Matt Boyd on Twitter as well. Music for this podcast is brought to you by bensound.com. As always, and until next time, go build something big.